Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to episode 41 of Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World, where we look at mysteries from the twin perspectives of faith and reason. In this episode, we're talking about the secret government UFO program, ATIP. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today is Jimmy Akin. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. So uh, I have to first off, Jimmy, say I love all the things we talk about. But UFO ones, I just I really enjoy talking about UFO mysteries. Uh-huh. I don't know why, but it's just it's just me. Well, good. I, I try to have one of those a month. Good, because that's that that really is in my wheelhouse. So uh, after UFOs became famous following the Kenneth Arnold sighting in 1947, the U.S. government established a series of programs to study this phenomenon. And of course, the most famous of these, I think a lot of people have heard about was the Air Force's Project Blue Book. But. Project Blue Book closed around 1970 with an announcement that further funding for the study couldn't be justified on the grounds of national security. And by the way, I, I just want to add in, there is a mm-hmm. fictionalized series, TV series, about Project Blue Book on the History Channel, uh, which is worth your time. It was a lot of fun. I, the first season is finished. It, it is quite fictionalized, it, though. Qu- quite, <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> But following Project Blue Book, the Air Force's position was that it had no ongoing study of UFOs. But in December 2017, it was revealed that a the new study had been launched. Its name was ATIP, which is an acronym, A-A-T-I-P. And that's what we'll be talking about on this episode of Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World. So, Jimmy, what does yeah. is, is this acronym, A-A-T-I-P, stand for? It stands for Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program. So that tells you the basics of what they're doing. They're trying to identify threats of an advanced aerospace nature. And one of the things that its former director, uh, Luis Elizondo, points out is he, he stresses, notice it's aerospace, not just aviation. So they're not just looking at threats that are in the sky. They're looking at dual environment threats, both atmosphere and no atmosphere. So both in the air and in space. Okay. How and when did the ATIP program start? Well, by the early 2000s, some members of the U.S. government became convinced that we needed to start studying UFOs only because, again, only because UFO has negative connotations if you're trying to get government funding. It's kind of been redubbed unknown aerial phenomena or UAPs. And the military had been encountering these UAPs or UFOs. So three senators who were active at the time, uh, Ted Stevens, Republican of Alaska, Daniel Inouye, uh, Democrat of Hawaii, and Harry Reid, Democrat of Nevada, uh, supported the creation of this new program, as did former Senator John Glenn. Former senator and astronaut. John well, I was yeah. going to say Democrat of the moon. <laughs> so in 2007, they created a program called Advanced Aerospace Weapons System Application Program, or OSAP. And it was run by the Department of Defense. So think the Pentagon. That's the headquarters of the Department of Defense. And the same year, the Defense Intelligence Agency or DIA, solicited uh, contracts with a group called Bigelow Aerospace Advanced Space Solutions, or BASS. And you may remember the the, word, the name Bigelow from our Skinwalker Ranch episode. Uh, Bob Bigelow is an American billionaire who's made his fortune in the aerospace industry, but he also has an interest in UFO and fringe science phenomena. And so he's also sponsored privately uh, NIDS, the National Institute of Discovery Science, that investigated Skinwalker Ranch. And he also sponsors the foundation BASS, Bigelow Advanced Aerospace Space Studies, uh, which then which the department, uh, the Defense Intelligence Agency then contracted with to do some of the work as part of OSAP. In 2008, 
OSAP evolved and ATIP was created. It's not clear to me based on what's been said if OSAP still exists or if it morphed into ATIP or exactly how they're related. But ATIP is a distinct program and it was created to focus on researching advanced physics applications on five what they called observables that the UAPs exhibit. So there are these five characteristics that the the UFOs or UAPs are exhibiting that they wanted to study. So what were these observables and, and why were they considered important? The first one is instantaneous acceleration. So they would see craft that could just suddenly accelerate in a way that our craft can't. And to do that, you would need G-force protection for any inhabitants in there. If you can do instantaneous acceleration, you've got really high maneuverability, which is something you would want in a in a, in a craft, you know, military craft. They observed UAPs doing instantaneous acceleration in excess of 400 Gs, 400 times. So if you were on one of these things and didn't have protection, it would be suddenly you weigh 400 times as much as normal due to acceleration. So that's incredibly fast. It's far outside anything we can do. Any organic thing inside would be turned into a pancake. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. The second of the observables that they would see the UAPs displaying is hypersonic velocity. And that's something we have a limited ability to do. I know our planes can get up to like Mach 4, maybe a little more than that maybe a few mocks higher than that. A mock is the speed of sound. But these things that they were watching were officially clocked at 13,000 kilometers, uh, 13,000 miles per hour or Mach 17. And unofficially, according to the program director, Luis Elizondo, they, they were actually going much, much faster than that. So that's way beyond what we can do. You'll want these things for that kind of speed for rapid deployment and uh, enemy evasion and things like that. And what was phenomenal about these is the UAPs were achieving these speeds without any of the standard traits of our aircraft. So even our hypersonic aircraft, you know, they have they have they propel themselves based on reaction thrust. When you, you think about a rocket, a rocket uses Newton's principle of for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. So what happens when a rocket propels itself is it's throwing stuff out of the back of the rocket, that flame you see. And it's that throwing stuff in one direction that propels the rocket in the other direction. That's the equal and opposite reaction. And so that kind of motor is known as as a reaction motor. And you have, have to have some kind of reaction mass that you're throwing backwards in order to propel yourself forwards. Jets do that using air. A jet throws air in one direction to propel itself in the other direction. But the thing is, these UAPs they're seeing, that the military is seeing, do not use reaction thrust. They can't see any any reaction mass that's being thrown off of these things. And they're still going at hypersonic velocities. So that was unobservable. They very much wanted to investigate. The third is low observability. Think stealth. And that's important for uh, survivability in combat and surprise. You want to surprise your enemy. These phenomena would display low observability in that in in a way different than our stealth technology does. You know, our stealth technology makes things harder to see by radar, but you can still totally see it visibly. These things, it's different. They have this shimmery mode where there's this kind of shimmery halo around them. So you can't quite see them normally, but you can observe them with multiple simultaneous radar hits that the military was getting on them. So they wanted to investigate that. Also, they displayed the Fourth observable was multi-medium travel. Uh, So the different media that these things are traveling in are water, air, and space. 
And the phenomena that the military is encountering does all three. So you'll have something, it'll like start in space, descend through the atmosphere, go in the water, and it doesn't seem to slow it down. It's like equally capable of maneuvering in all three of these environments. That's obviously something you would want because it, from a military point of view, because it gives you target flexibility and helps you achieve battle space dominance which is what they would have over us if they were interested in dominating us. Then the fifth observable that they wanted to check out is positive lift. That's the ability to just like go straight up and hover. These things, according to ATIP, can hover for days without moving in one way or in one direction or another. They can just hover and they can drop from 80,000 feet to 50 feet in less than two seconds and stop. So that's, think about that. 80,000 feet is is like four miles or something. Maybe even uh, actually more than that. Oh, that's, yeah. Uh, it's way more than that. Yeah, it's, it's like almost 16 miles. miles. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so they can drop that many miles in less than two seconds and stop. Wow. 50 feet above the surface. And so that's something that you would also want. It gives you flight precision, the ability to loiter over a target. Uh, and so that that was the fifth thing they wanted to to check out that these things can do. I want to kind of step back for just a second and say and, and ask the seems like an obvious question. They have evidence of actual things doing this, whether they're terrestrial or extraterrestrial in origin. Like th th there's not a question that there are things out there doing this. Right. The military is encountering these things and measuring their their abilities. Okay. All right. I just wanted to establish that we're not talking about theoretical like what are people seeing? They've actually got this data. Okay. Yeah. So then what happened once ATIP started? They gathered different people from the government and military and contractors like Bigelow's people. The project was headed up by a man named Luis Elizondo. And according to him, it commissioned large volumes of research data, academic studies, and focused also on the collection of data in the field. It was also focused on the specific capabilities that the UAPs were displaying on the what and how questions. What are they doing? How do we think they're doing it? It was not focused on the who or where questions who is in these things or who's controlling these things and where are they from? That wasn't their mission. Their mission was to figure out what are they doing and how are they doing it and who's doing it and where are they from was a separate question. By uh, 2008, in the kind of 2008 to 2009 period, they got preliminary data that was promising and they got a lot of data collection and analysis that we're doing. In 2009, uh, Congress asked the Department of Defense to upgrade the program and give it a new assignment of specifically warding off counterintelligence efforts. So the uh, the idea was foreign governments are taking note of this study. They know we're doing it and they want to mess with it in some way, either get the data or that we've got or interfere with the data that we've got. And so ATIP was also tasked with countering those efforts. The same year, though, there were problems for ATIP. This is 2009, because some elements at the Department of Defense resisted the program and what it was doing because of what Elizondo said. He, and he used different words on different occasions, even in the same speech. He once said there were theological differences that some of the folks at the Defense Department had with the problem. He also said philosophical differences. And what that suggests to me, and this is known from other areas, um, you know, people in the Department of Defense are like people in society in general. Some of them are, they have a wide range of views, including some people who are, who are very conservative Christians, even fundamentalists. And sometimes those folks, you know, I'm very strong Christian, I'm a conservative Christian, I'm not a fundamentalist, and that means I don't automatically assume everything that I can't explain is a demon. But some people do. And 
you would expect to find some of those people in government positions. It's happened with other programs. Someday we'll talk about the Stargate program and the problems that people, I mean, not the fictional Stargate program. <laughs> not the TV show. Yeah. The, the real Stargate program, which had to do with psychic spying efforts. And you can imagine there were people who were conservative Christians, including some fundamentalists at the Pentagon who didn't like the fact the U.S. government had psychic spies. And in the same way, I it's what Elizondo has said suggests that, that, you know, there are some people who will say UFOs are demons and we shouldn't mess with them. And so that may have been part of what they were encountering. Also, philosophical differences, just thinking this is all silly, guys. We don't want to. This is too embarrassing to be looking at UFOs. We don't want to be doing that. And so some elements of the Department of Defense resisted what ATIP was trying to do. Between 2010 and 2012, ATIP shifted so that it was under the office of the Secretary of Defense rather than than the Defense Intelligence Agency. And in 2012, its original five-year funding ran out. So does that mean that ATIP ended in 2012? You'll hear that a lot. If you look in press reports, they'll talk about how the funding went through 2012 and then then it ran out and so the program ended. But not according to Elizondo. Uh, Elizondo said that in 2013 and 2014, there was new government funding that was actually, I guess, allocated, but then diverted to some other purpose. And because there was no stand down order. So when the government creates a military effort, it continues to exist regardless of the funding that's there. And so even if you don't have funding, if you're not given a stand down order, you keep doing your job. And they were never given a stand down order. And so even though they had less funding to work with, they continued on a kind of minimal funding basis to fulfill their commission. So it kept going in 2015 to 2017. uh, He said they made several key observations, but the access list remained very restrictive. Not everybody could see the results, even within the the Defense Department and the Office of the Secretary of Defense could see the results. The distribution list was apparently really small. And that seems to have been by design. The folks who didn't like ATIP, the implication seems to be, were interfering with the free flow of this information within the Department of Defense. They were like blocking the results from getting to some of the supervisors. So in 2017, the Department of Defense management you know, remained apprehensive about sharing this information through the chain of command. And that kind of prompted a decision on the part of the program director, Luis Elizondo. On October 4th, 2017, he resigned and he sent a letter to the Undersecretary of Defense explaining his resignation and saying that the research was not being taken seriously. And this was his way of circumventing the barriers that had been put between him and the higher ups to say, I'm the only thing I can do here is resign as a way of communicating the problem that I'm encountering. And you need to take all this much more seriously than what's happening. The same year, ATIP declassified and released three UFO videos to the public. So this is gun camera footage from military craft observing the unknown aerial phenomena. And these were leaked. These, I'm sorry, these were not leaked. These were released. They were put through the declassification process and officially released to the public. Why would they release these, the formerly classified videos? You would think they would be a big deal. Yeah. According to Elizondo, it was to establish an unclassified community of interest. They wanted people who are not part of the classified world to know about this and talk about it. And the question is, well, what what would they want this community of interest to do? I can think of two things. They might think, okay, there may be people out there who are who have expertise or knowledge or other sightings that could contribute to this and help us learn more. Or they might think if we get people on the outside aware of this, they could help put pressure to get us actual funding again. And so that's kind of my read. Personally, I don't know, but that's kind of my read on what happened here with Elizondo. It's like, I'm going to step back from this program and go into the public sector 
to communicate to the higher ups that there's a serious problem. This program is being impeded. And then the program is going to release these videos as a way of getting people on the outside aware of the program so they can help support it from the outside and get it funding again and get it taken seriously. And in Elizondo's words, advance the conversation. And so consequently, when all this went public beginning on December 17th, 2017, major news media, including the New York Times, started covering this. Over the years, uh, how much how much did the government spend on the ATIP program? In the original five years between 2007 and 2012, they apparently spent 22 million. And so that's a little more than four million dollars a year for five years. That's significant, but it is by no means huge. I mean, Catholic Answers annual budget is almost twice that. If you compare it to other government investigations, well, the Mueller investigation that we just had cost at least $27 million by November of 2018. The Monica Lewinsky investigation cost $52 million, and the Iran-Contra investigation cost $47 million. So all of those... Uh, like Monica Lewinsky and Iran-Contra were twice as expensive as all of the money ATIP got, which suggests a real concern that they were willing to spend millions on it, but a moderate concern given that it was only $22 million. From that, I take away good news. No sign of an imminent alien or other invasion. <laughs> um, because if we were about to be invaded, they'd be spending way more than $22 million on this. That's right. So the, the big question is, what did ATIP find? According to Elizondo, they found out a lot. Unfortunately, a lot of what they found out is FOIA exempt. Uh, FOIA stands for Freedom of Information Act. And this is a law that Congress passed, I think, in the 1970s to allow the public to petition for the release of government information. So people regularly, there are a whole, there is kind of a cottage industry of people um, filing Freedom of Information requests to the government saying, tell me what you have on this subject, like UFOs or whatever it may be. And there's kind of a cat and mouse game between people in the government trying to keep stuff secret and the FOIA investigators trying to get the information out. There are some exemptions to what you can request under, under FOIA. Exemption number one is if it's classified for reasons of national security, you can't get it. And under exemption number five, if it involves privileged communication between government agencies, you can't get it. And according to Elizondo, a lot of what they did fell into either exemption one or exemption five. And so at present, it's not going to be something that people can recover through the FOIA process. Having said that, he discussed some of the things that that they did find, which is that the UAPs they're studying are very different than any form of known aircraft. They do not have control surfaces like wings and rudders and flaps. They do not have apparent engines or means of thrust. They don't use reaction motors like a rocket or a jet. And they vastly outperform any known technology. You know, being able to accelerate instantly at 400 Gs or being able to fly Mach 17 with no control surfaces and no apparent engine. They apparently got quite a bit of good video of the UAPs, either through, you know, gun camera encounters or through surveillance cameras or something. And some of those have been released. So what can you tell us about these videos then? They sound very interesting. We'll be doing a future episode just on the videos. And, but basically, you watch them and they don't conform to any known earthly aircraft's behavior. We'll have links to the videos in the show notes so you can watch them yourself and we'll be talking about them. There's a famous one that actually occurred off the coast of San Diego here where I am. I think it was in 2004. It's called the Tic Tac incident where you had several planes observing craft that looked like giant Tic Tacs. You know, they're kind of oblong, don't have obvious wings or control surfaces, and they would fly and orient themselves and zip off and stuff and just do stuff that the you can hear the comm chatter with the pilots, and they're just amazed at what these things are doing. They're trained observers of other aircraft. You know, they're trained to be able to tell the difference between this Russian aircraft and that Russian aircraft, and they've never seen anything like these. 
So it, very interesting stuff. And we'll be focusing in the future just on what they saw in the videos. So apart from the, the video evidence that they have, do they have any physical evidence, things that you can touch? Yes. So apparently there were trace cases where they got physical materials that were connected with the UAPs, and those were turned over to Bast, Bigelow's people, to examine and study. And so that's in process as well. But we don't have announced results for that yet. Well, what about the, the academic research that Elizondo mentioned, as opposed to the field studies? Here we got a much better idea. In just earlier this year, in 2019, a letter was released that contained the names of 38 academic studies that ATIP commissioned. Who is that letter from? It was released by a guy named Stephen Aftergood, who's from the Federation of American Scientists, and he got it through FOIA. So he was able to use the Freedom of Information Act to get this list of the stuff they commissioned. It was a letter sent by the Department of the Defense Intelligence Agency's Congressional Relations Division to Senator John McCain. It was a letter they actually sent back in January of 2018. And because this letter didn't fall into one of the exemptions, Aftergood was able to get it. And what was what were the contents of this letter? What did it say? So McCain, apparently his original staff, this is obviously before he died, he passed on shortly after this, but his staff had sent a request to the Defense Intelligence Agency asking for information about ATIP. And so the Defense Intelligence Agency's Congressional Relations Division sent back a letter and it said, here's a list of these program of these papers that were commissioned for purposes of academic study. And it said that their purpose that ATIP's purpose was to, in quote, to investigate foreign advanced aerospace weapons threats from the present out to the next 40 years, close quote. So if you just take that at face value, it sounds like they're trying to downplay the UFO aspect of this. We're looking at foreign, not alien, foreign aerospace threats with about a 40 year time frame. So stuff our enemies may have up to 40 years from now. The letter then said that they were providing to McCain's office a list of all products produced under the ATIP contract for the Defense Intelligence Agency to publish. OK, that's uh, that's the nice government language there. So let's yeah. see. Does that mean that it contained a list of all the studies that ATIP produced? As Janet on The Good Place would say, unclear. <laughs> it sounds to me like government talk for this is a select group of things. This is maybe all of the products produced under the ATIP contract for DIA to publish. Right. But that doesn't mean there aren't other ones that were not, quote unquote, for DIA to publish, like maybe classified unpublished stuff. You're right, right. So given given that little bit of language there, what kind of studies did they do? I won't list all 38, but here are some representative examples. They basically kind of fall into two classes. Some of them are fair. Some of the papers, some of the research papers are fairly straightforward. They include papers on space access. You know, how do you get into space? Maverick inventor versus corporate inventor. You know, what are the different management styles of like an Elon Musk versus somebody else and you know what kind of inventors might you want to work with as you're working on advanced aerospace things cockpits in the era of breakthrough flight you know what kind of cockpit would you want to have technology technological approaches to controlling external devices in the absence of limb operated interfaces so how could you control things with your eyes or your brain? Detection and high-resolution tracking of vehicles at hypersonic velocities. Materials for advanced aerospace platforms. What do you want to build these things out of? Biomaterials. And an introduction to the statistical Drake equation. Now, the Drake equation, as people may be aware, is a proposal by the astronomer Frank Drake for estimating the number of technological civilizations in the galaxy. So really foreign. <laughs> yeah, it, not just foreign, but extremely foreign. And this is <laughs> this is where the kind of, yeah, we're looking at foreign threats for 40 years into the future. <laughs> That's 
underplaying what your what this program really does. It's not just foreign, it's extremely foreign. And so there's this new version of the Drake equation called the statistical Drake equation. And this paper was an was an introduction to that. So those are some of the more prosaic papers, if you can call them prosaic. But then there are the weird exotic papers. These include advanced space propulsion based on vacuum engineering. And when they're talking about vacuum, they're not talking about a Roomba or a Hoover. <laughs> Right. They're talking about extracting usable energy from empty space. Now, this is like if you've seen the fictional Stargate program, the TV show, this is like a, a ZPM or a ZPM. This yes. is ex a zero point energy, extracting energy from the vacuum. Invisibility cloaking, transversible wormholes, stargates and negative energy. Wow. So there's the word Stargate for you right there in an official government document. In the sense of wormhole between one place and another, high frequency gravitational wave communication. So this the idea here is you would use gravity waves to communicate between widely separated areas. Anti-gravity for aerospace applications. Concepts for extracting energy from the quantum vacuum. Warp drive, dark energy and the manipulation of extra dimensions. That's the title of one of these papers. Wow. Warp speed, Mr. Scott. Yeah. <laughs> Aerospace applications of programmable matter. And in case you uh, haven't encountered that term, programmable matter is like nanobots that you can tell to configure themselves into different shapes. That's why it's programmable. So you can basically, if you have this cloud of, of nanobots and you can tell them to make anything you want, that's programmable matter. And finally, Space communication implications of quantum entanglement and non-locality. And what that means is instantaneous communication faster than the speed of light. So they're talking about building an Ansible. That's what that is. Wow. So this is like how our very, <laughs> our, how our extremely foreign friends might be talking to their extremely foreign home base. <laughs> extremely. So do we have access to these studies, the content of these studies? Do we, like, do we know we have these kinds of technology? Unfortunately, it, I mean, it can be tempting to get excited and think, oh, this is, you know, you have these papers telling us how to do all this stuff. Not exactly. You'll notice these, with one exception, these are all not even classified. Their, their security ranking is unclassified slash slash for official use only. So you don't even have to have a secret clearance to read these things. Um, there is one paper though, that was that is secret. It's not top secret. It's just secret. And its classification is secret stroke stroke, no foreign and no foreign is slang for no foreigners, not for foreign eyes. So you, in order to, to read this one, you have to have a basic security clearance and you need to be an American. OK. And what, what was this one about this one that was classified secret? It's it, the title of it was state of the art and evolution of high energy laser weapons. So you can see why we wouldn't want foreigners having access to this if it tells us this is what we know about the exact limits of the state of the art with laser weapons, because that's going to have implications for what we know we can do with them. Right. And we don't want other countries knowing exactly what we can do. There was, though, an unclassified version of this same paper that has the same title, but with the top with this not top secret, but with the secret bits cut out. Yeah, I mean, the, with the high energy laser weapons, there are prototypes of these on board ships and in airplanes now of high yeah. energy laser weapons. So I can see why that that's classified secret because they're we're making those operational. Those are within. Yeah. Yeah, OK, I get that. So so what were these papers for? What, what Why did they create them? Basically, they're introductory papers that are meant to just provide a basic briefing to Department of Defense officials who aren't otherwise familiar with these concepts. And and they're not that dissimilar from what you'd get in a journal article or even a popular science book. So these are these are not here's how to build an Ansible and it really works. It's <laughs> here's an introduction to the basic concept of an Ansible that would let you communicate instantaneously over light years. I suppose in a you know, with the Department of Defense, you have a lot of civilian appointees, people who might be mm -hmm. smart in their own field, but they're showing up being appointed by a president or administration or, or whatnot who 
wouldn't necessarily have a background in this exotic stuff. So right, and so these are these are briefing papers meant to help them out, and that's that, that's Ill, Ill, indicated both by the fact these are not even classified; they're just for official use only, and it's indicated by the fact we've got four of them now because four of these papers have been released, and I assume the other thirty-seven unclassified ones will probably within the next year or so be released due to FOIA requests from the public. All right. So w- what are the ones that w- that have been released? The ones that we have are space propulsion based on vacuum engineering, invisibility cloaking, transversible wormholes, and the one called warp drive, dark energy, and manipulating extra dimensions. And uh, that one deals, among other things, with the Alcubierre drive that we talked about in the time travel episode. That's a proposal for how you could actually build warp drive. Also, I like and to illustrate the basic nature of these things. I mean, some of them like the wormholes one has illustrations that are like cartoons of people like dinosaurs looking through wormholes and someone sticking their hands through both end of a wormhole and it's coming out the other. And uh, there's even in the invisibility one in the invisibility cloaking one, they have a, a still picture of invisible woman from the Fantastic Four movie with a caption under it saying that her powers are the inspiration for cloaking technology. And so these are like really basic papers. This isn't how to build an actual invisibility thing. Right. Just to, to, to clarify, then, it is, this is describing what the concept that they're researching yeah. the possibility of means for, for right. a lay they're, they're basic introductions. They are not how-tos. Okay. Right. So is ATIP still ongoing even today? Yeah, Elizondo, its former head, Luis Elizondo, has said that he has a successor who took over the program. He has not released the name of that person, so we don't know who it is. In a public speech, which we'll have a link to in the show notes, Elizondo said that the unclassified community of interest that was generated as a result of releasing the videos and going public about all this has had good effects on the conversation. And that suggests that the program may have new funding and is being taken more seriously than it was before, which were the two problems that uh, led to Elizondo's departure. He also indicates that the name of the program may have changed. So if you did a FOIA saying, tell me what ATIP is doing right now, they might say, oh, we don't have a program by that name. But he doesn't know if its name has changed. It may or may not have. So the, the really the big question is, has ATIP arrived at any conclusions about whether this is earthly or extraterrestrial technology in these UAPs that we've observed? In an official way, no, that was not their mission. Their mission was to study what are the UAPs doing and how might they be doing it, not who is responsible and where are they from. However, uh, even though they haven't had an official finding one way or the other, people associated with the program, including Elizondo, have said that the phenomena, quote, did not seem to originate from any country, close quote, according to the New York Times reporting. So unless it's people living in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. <laughs> yeah, maybe it's like in that movie Latitude Zero, the kaiju movie from the 60s. <laughs> but no, it, it based on their conclusion, it's not any known nation, given the flight capabilities these things are displaying. Now, that, that could be that could be mistaken. Maybe somebody has freakishly advanced alien technology or freakishly advanced technology that's way above anything what we know we can do. Yeah. Think Wakanda. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe maybe we have that. And it's just so highly classified. The rest of the military doesn't know about it. So there are possible terrestrial solutions here, but it does not fit the what they're measuring these things is doing doesn't fit what any known capabilities or terrestrial devices are. That doesn't mean there aren't terrestrial devices capable of doing them. Just if they are, we don't know about them, broadly speaking. Maybe at some high level of classification, they're known. So unless there's a secret African nation named Wakanda <laughs> that has yeah. advanced technology from the And Black vibranium. Panther. And vibranium, right. Okay. We've been talking about ATIP from a reason perspective so far. Is there a faith perspective that we want to bring to this? 
Not so much. Uh, there's no particular faith implications of the ATIP program specifically. Obviously, if it did turn out that there were intelligent aliens, that would raise some interesting theological questions. And we'll talk about those in a future show. But the ATIP program itself doesn't really interact with theology, except perhaps regarding Elizondo's remarks about some people at the Department of Defense had theological differences with it. But that's really about the extent of it. So do you have a bottom line you want to bring to this this mystery? Yeah, personally, I don't know if this is alien stuff or not, but I'm glad that the government has been funding ATIP and I hope they continue to fund it because whether or not these things are of alien or human origin, we need to know about them and how we might have to deal with them one day on a military basis. Okay. Yeah. I mean, if someone has the technology this advanced, that's important to know uh, no matter who they are. Excellent. So what are the further resources that people can go to to find out more about ATIP? We'll have a, a link to Wikipedia's article on ATIP, also a video of you, of Luis Elizondo talking about the history of ATIP that I got a lot of this information from. He goes into it in more detail. He's also got pictures. There's a second talk by Luis Elizondo <clears throat> that also has a lot of uh, interesting information that's different than the first talk, as well as a Q&A session that followed the second talk. So we'll have links to those videos. We'll have a link to the New York Times, the original 2017 article from the New York Times on the program. We'll have a link to Elizondo's resignation letter so you can see what he himself had to say when he left the program. And uh, we'll have a link to the letter describing all of the programs or all of the studies that they funded, including We'll have and we'll have several subsidiary links as well. One of them is to a site called the Black Vault. The Black Vault is one of these FOIA communities that I mentioned where the guy who runs it, he started it when he was like 15 or something. He filed his first Freedom of Information request, and he's built this community of people who use FOIA to get interesting information out of the government, and they then store it at theblackvault.com. And so one of the things they have at that site is a backgrounder on the authors of the 38 ATIP studies. So even though we don't have all 38 of the studies yet, here's the people who wrote them and where they work and what their expertise is in and other things they've written on similar topics. So you can get an idea what's in those papers. We'll also have the links to links to the four ones that have come out. Also, before I forget, We'll have a link to a, an analysis piece that also talks about the 38 studies and that says the high frequency gravitational wave communication study is junk. OK, that they don't actually have the study, but based on other things the author has written, the authors of this opinion piece say they don't like that study. They think that concept's not going to work. But then we have the four actual studies that have been released. So we'll have the one on space propulsion based on vacuum engineering, the one on invisibility cloaking which has the picture of Invisible Woman, uh, the one on transversible wormholes that has the dinosaur cartoons, and uh, the one on warp drive, dark energy, and the manipulation of extra dimensions. So you can read all those for yourself. You'll know uh, so much about ATIP after this. Yeah. All right. So we have our uh, mysterious feedback we like to talk about. And this time we're talking about feedback from... Alternative three. <laughs> Folks. Yeah, our I, April Fool's episode. I guess we could say now it was an April Fool's joke. I mean, you should have known by the fact that it released on April 1st. And we said April 1st and oh, it's April Fool's Day. And that's the day we're releasing this episode, isn't it? Wow, what a coincidence. And we even had a Rick roll in the show notes with one of the the links. So uh, yeah, it was what I like, particularly like this is when Jimmy chose this, he chose a, a topic that was itself originally an April Fool's joke. So I, I did like that. So we have some feedback. First one from Anthony on Facebook says, you guys got me really bad. Good job. <laughs> and I was I was very pleased to see we got. Thank you, Anthony. We got a lot of responses like yours. I, I was, you know, had some trepidation about putting out the April Fool's episode. I didn't know what I knew we'd get opinions on both sides, but I was very gratified that by far and away, the most opinions were from people who appreciated what we did and said, you know, you got me or I, I good job. I really enjoyed this. 
Because that, that that was our goal was to entertain people and yes. have you know it's a fun prank. Exactly. Yeah, that's the only reason we do it. And Ryan sent sent an email who said uh, last night I listened to your broadcast on Alternative Three and you sure had me fooled. The quote unquote documentary sounded very official and your excellent acting. Well, thank you very much. Made the yeah. whole thing seem plausible in spite of the release date of the podcast and the intended release date of the documentary. I'll be sure to keep this episode in my prank arsenal to pass around next year. Cool. <laughs> Share with friends. Yes. <laughs> prank your friends. It's always good. Uh, Claire on Facebook says, my kids told me about this episode on Tuesday. I told them they must be mistaken because episodes are released on Fridays. My five boys were wide eyed and excited, discussing it among themselves. Very cool, SQPN. We can't wait to move to Mars and meet the sand aliens. Yeah, won't that be fun? <laughs> and then Hux Explorer via our hashtag Mysterious Feedback on Twitter absolutely uh, says, absolutely love the Alternative 3 episode of Mysterious World, Jimmy. I was already familiar from with it from DC Comics' Big Book of Conspiracies. Really impressed you never broke character. Well, I watched enough professional wrestling growing up that I know never to break kayfabe. <laughs> That's right. Uh, and then... Uh, this one, I, I'm going to you, you helpfully provided a pronunciation guide for me, Jimmy, but I'm going to try to make sure I don't get it wrong. My all Seklin. Yeah, that's my guess. I don't know for sure, <laughs> but just syllabificating it the way one would expect. Yes. Uh, Something so, like Mal Seklin. Yep. Says on YouTube, if you wanted to discredit information that you thought was going to get out, how would you do it? Present it as a joke. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe it really is real. And indeed, the Leslie Watkins, the primary author of the Alternative 3 book that was based on the documentary, uh, there's a letter purporting to be from him out on the Internet where even he says, even though this was fiction and I've constantly told people it was fiction, I've heard from so many people that I think now actually I may have we may have stumbled onto something very close to something that's true. <laughs> well, given what we just <laughs> talked about with a tip, maybe maybe there's yeah. something there. Then then uh, Ian from England uh, writes via email it says, "Gentlemen, I've hugely enjoyed each episode of Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World, but Alternative Three was a particular delight. I vividly remember the original broadcast. I was age twelve." And the excited conversation with my brother afterwards as we debated whether this was the explanation for UFOs. Yet even at that young age, doubts immediately started seeping in. My mother was much amused to see we had taken the show seriously, but the next morning papers ended the matter. Rather touchingly, I was far more upset by the non-discovery of life on Mars then gladdened by the temporary postponement of extinction. Yeah, it's <laughs> like, oh, wait, we get to live. Oh, but there's no life on Mars. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the, the ITV, he explains, the ITV companies were regionally based in Anglia, which serves the part of eastern England where I live, had a reputation for quirkiness. Your American listeners might recall their long-running Tales of the Unexpected, which I believe were broadcast in the States. I've, and then he says, I've long wanted to donate. I most certainly am now. Thank you, Ian. Thank you. Thank you so much, Ian. We really appreciate your support and the support of all our patrons that make this podcast and all the other StarQuest podcasts possible. By the way, I had I was familiar with the different tales of the unexpected, I think. But if you go on YouTube, if you're an American, you can they actually have the ITV Tales of the Unexpected shows on YouTube. I watched one of them and I'm going to watch more. They're quite interesting. I, they're based, I believe, on the kind of quirky slightly sinister stories of Roald Dahl. Mm. Oh, yes. Roald Dahl's quite an interesting figure. Okay. That, so thank you all for your feedback. We love to get your feedback. And we're so glad, like I said, so many of you enjoyed Alternative 3. I think people, Jimmy, I think people are going to be uh, watching next year. So we're going to have to be particularly devious oh, uh, yeah. next year. So uh, we'll yeah. see. We'll see what we can do. So uh, what, what do we have for mysterious headlines this week? You may wonder, what is Luis Elizondo up to now? And he's actually been hired. He's continuing to do similar work. He's been hired by a group called the To the Stars Academy of Arts and Science. He's working with some of the same people who helped with ATIP. They have a documentary series called Unidentified that's starting on the History Channel in May. So we're recording this in April, and I haven't been able to determine exactly when in May Unidentified is going to start. But it's going to cover the same kind of ground as ATIP. And I know they're going to I know they have like an episode or maybe more than one that they're going to be talking about the analysis of physical materials 
they've got in connection with the phenomena. And uh, so I'll have a link to an article about the unidentified program on the History Channel that's coming up. And since this is scheduled to release in the third on the third Friday of May, it may already have released on the History Channel. So you'll want to check that out. Also, speaking of space things and going to the moon, like happened in Alternative 3, I have a video of Vice President Pence announcing the U.S. policy to return American astronauts to the moon within five years. So by 2024. And so you can check out that video. Also, given mysterious aerospace stuff, the Russians just did a flyover of Area 51 which they are allowed to do under the Open Skies Treaty, which we are signatories of. So we get to overfly their secret bases, too. And if you want to read about that, we have a link to it on the drive to the article on the drive dot com. All right. So like we just said, what, when uh, what Ian said that he was going to donate now, we, we really are grateful to our patrons, to those who support us financially in doing the show. And uh, we always want to take a moment at the end of every show to thank them. And uh, on our behalf, but also on your behalf, because without them, we wouldn't have this show. But to thank them and to thank a handful, because there's so many of them, but we want to thank a handful by name. And today I want to thank Ryan R., Cindy M., Daniel C., Sally H., and Gregory F. Uh, you know who you are. And if and if you if there are multiples of you with the same first name and last initial, we're thanking you both or more more than one of you at a time. It's your generous donations at sqpn.com slash give that makes it possible for Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World to exist, but all the shows we're doing at SQPN. And you should go check out SQPN because we've got a lot of great stuff going now, a lot of fun stuff that we've been doing. We recently had a show on The Godfather, which I had so much fun talking about uh, because I'd, only, I'd never seen it before. Can you believe that? So, hey. uh, <laughs> so go check it out. And, and if you can, if you are enjoying the show and you have the means to do so, we would really appreciate your financial support by going to sqpn.com slash give your support of this podcast really makes a huge difference. And, and we got a lot of stuff coming up next week. We're going to be talking about the theory that King Tut was murdered. Mm, that's a, that's a good one. Now that's a, I like Egyptian stuff, too. So we, this is a good month for me. I really enjoy this. So uh, what did you think? Before we get to that, what did you think of this secret government UFO program called ATIP? You can give us your theories, any information that you may have. You, if you go to sqpn.com or to the Jimmy Akins Mysterious World Facebook page, you can leave feedback there. You can send us an email to mysterious at sqpn.com, or you can send a tweet in using the hashtag of pound sign mysterious feedback, all one word. Don't don't put any spaces in there. Mysterious feedback. We'll see it. And we'll uh, include that in a future feedback segment of the show. Be sure to check out. I got. I was going to make sure I point this out. Be, be sure to check out the Mysterious World Bookstore uh, at our website. If you go to mysteriousworldstore.com, you'll find links to all the books and videos and other things that you can buy or stream and that sort of thing that Jimmy mentions in the show. Uh, we. I don't think we had any books this time, but in general, we have it for all the shows that we've done, and it's it's a really great resource. They're all in one place and. If you buy stuff through that link, it again, it helps support the show. So we really do appreciate that. So you can find links to the resources on ATIP that Jimmy discussed and the links to the headlines on our show notes at sqpn.com slash mysterious. Until next time, when we'll talk about King Tut, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for exploring with us our mysterious world. Thanks, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World on StarQuest.